Yes, welcome everyone. We are in the post-human era. What does this mean? What does it mean to be post-human? We are going to explore this fascinating, inspiring and exciting notion in our podcast, Post-Humans. Plural because we are going to interview scientists, artists, philosophers, scholars, and everyone who is engaging with this notion and who is helping us to understand more thoroughly and more deeply what does it mean to be post-human in the 21st century. So please be ready for a fascinating journey into the post-human. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm very, very excited to have as a guest Professor Philip Butler. First of all, Philip, thank you so much for coming to NYU and to be our guest at uh, Posthumans. Yeah, I'm so excited. Ah, so good to have you here. So a little more about uh, Philip. Um, Philip Butler is a visiting professor at the Theological Studies Department at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, California. His work primarily focuses on the intersection of neuroscience, technology, spirituality, and race. And we're going to talk about this with, uh, with this uh, book that is coming out, I'm going to mention now. He is the author of Making Enhancement Equitable, a rational analysis of the term human-animal and the inclusion of black bodies in human enhancement. And he recently com com uh, completed his uh, first book project entitled Black Transhuman Liberation Theology spirituality and technology, which is actually coming out in December 2019 by Bloomsbury Academic. So again, uh, definitely looking forward to reading that. But now, Philip is going to tell us all about it. <laughs> <laughs> so Philip, tell us a little more about your book. Again, it's, uh, the topic is extremely fascinating. And if you don't mind also telling us about the passage from black transhumanism to black posthumanism. Sure. So uh, the book itself is really kind of a theological ref, uh, reflection on uh, just kind of the, the history of, of black theology in the beginning, but moving more towards thinking about where black theology might be in the 21st century and beyond. Um, and so just kind of thinking about the, the ways in which blackness has situated itself or has been situated right in the American landscape. Uh, and so we, we I, at least I reflect on the idea of kind of rethinking and renaming black bodies, right, or black humanity or, or rejecting the idea of humanity altogether, uh, because I think that has been one of the key kind of fights within black theology, this kind of recognition of one's humanity in the various ways that it shows up. But I'm, I think that also this kind of fight for humanity becomes uh, the way in which people placate to the limits of humanity, this kind of club that people have kind of been yeah, excluded from historically. And so I think that it becomes something that is limiting and the idea of black liberation, right? And so uh, one, of, one of the things that I'm asking uh, black folks to do is kind of reject this term altogether uh, because I think, I think humanity becomes a, a poor descriptor for describing everyone. I, 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 use, I, I, I say that, it, that, that the, her, the term humanity is really a technology, right, that kind of has been used to kind of prop up white males, right, historically within, you know, rational humanism. And, and so, but the idea is that if it's a technology in some ways, it has kind of a masking agent. And so the idea is that maybe white males aren't even humans either. Nobody's human. And so it's just a, a way that we attempted to describe ourselves. And so uh, I'm suggesting that we think about kind of renaming ourselves as transhumans right now. And so it kind of gives us this kind of place marker uh, between the trans and the post because 
Uh, we do recognize that black liberation is something that people are, are still after today, right? Given, you know, the current landscape uh, in, in American context, even globally. Uh, and so even, even more to the case, uh, the idea is that we still have to work within kind of capitalist confines, right? It's, it's, I think uh, as a practical move, it will be kind of difficult for uh, for black people to just kind of do away with capitalism and kind of capitalist moves. And so given the notion within transhumanism for progress and movement within capitalist frameworks, uh, the idea is that we can begin thinking of liberation through trans transhumanist lens, uh, to ultimately to, to move towards more of a post-humanist lens. Uh, and so that becomes, I think, maybe the, the, you know, uh, the, the impetus for the next project. Thank you so much, Philip. Now, I have a specific question, because if we look at the history of transhumanism, uh, as has been said by transhumanist thinkers, we see that uh, the transhumanist is seen as a um, continuation of the tradition of the Enlightenment, specifically of humanism, right. and in that sense, is seen actually as more of an ultra-humanism. In this sense, how do you feel about you know, the issue of uh, inclusion and comprehension um, in this uh, linear kind of thinking that actually come from a very racist, uh, sexist, and speciesist framework? No, of course. And I, so in, in, in the, the first chapter after the introduction, I actually talk about kind of movement would be to, to, towards a black transhumanism. And so we deal with the racist kind of histories of transhumanism itself, right? As we talk about the, the Huxley brothers mm -hmm. in their own work that still kind of perpetuate this own form of racism, right? Uh, we talk about uh, the ways in which a modern transhumanist <clears throat> refer to race, right, and ethnicity as primarily like human biodiversity is something that doesn't matter because we're all the same. But I also, I also lift up a study that was done in 2018 uh, that referenced the African pan genome and suggested that 10% you know, more, uh, more uh, megabase pairs would suggest that we need to rethink about what it means for humans to be genetically similar or, or not. Um, because when I think one of the arguments is that the greatest level of diversity is within groups, but if we also look at the idea that the, that the African pan genome has 10% more base pairs when it's more already at, you know, uh, uh, 3.2 uh, billion, if not more, megapace bears, we have another 300 some odd, either million or billion, I think million base pairs, right, that, that are added. We, we have another level, right, of, of potentiality here that is within uh, the African pan genome uh, itself, right, let alone the fact that the idea was that uh, within this African pan genome, there was closer rela relation with, between folks of, of, of Eastern descent, right, Korean uh, and Chinese uh, genetics, then uh, European genetics. And so there, there is difference, but that also becomes the, 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 the space we can recognize potentially, right, potentially, that difference can be acknowledged as difference, but not stratified. And I think that's also one of the history, part of this histories of, of, of humanism into the transhumanist kind of ultra-humanist space is that we can continue this, this idea of stratification because it benefits, right, certain people over others, mm -hmm. particularly white men. And so uh, within this idea, if we critique, right, this history itself and recognize that transhumanism as it currently stands is a, a, a legitimately racist, sexist, right, um, ableist, you know, kind of a species, all the kind of, it becomes, in some ways you can, in a rare way, it becomes one of the worst of, of things that we could potentially you know, uh, prescribe for our future if we critique it this way and then on top of it move towards this idea, again, within, within kind of a black transhumanist perspective of rejecting humanity as, as, it's, as it has been historically reported and suggest that it's its own technology that attempts to prop up white men. If we reject humanity, then we, we can also reject its histories, right, and, and move towards new potentialities, right, as Alexander Wahillia would suggest, right? So blackness functions as a potentiality, a marker for, for, 
for things to, uh, to for possibilities. And so if we start here, uh, then from a black transhumanist perspective, those, those racist histories become undone because we're not entangled with it in that way. We're entangled with, with unraveling, with kind of the decolonial kind of Sylvia Winters term of recognizing that this thing exists, but uh, rearranging our, our own selves in relationship to it. Absolutely. And something that uh, for me, it's um, something very serious, although uh, it's again outside of academia, it's how human enhancement is represented in movies and documentaries. Every time they're talking about an enhanced human is white, usually male and super muscular. And for me, that ableist, uh, racist and sexist representation of human enhancement, it's uh, uh, really a, a, an alarm that should make us all reflect on this because Again, you may be in favor or not of uh, genetic manipulation, but once we see how cultural representations of human enhancement are uh, represented, it's uh, a really portraying a history that as posthumanists we are deconstructing. So I would like, first of all, to ask you, how do you feel about cultural representation of human enhancement? And, and then, of course, I want to switch then to posthumanism, because again, th those are two topics that are related, but also they are separated. No, no, definitely. I, I think the cultural representation piece is something that is, is, <laughs> is, 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 is right for you know, deconstruction or critique. It's, it's not something that so, I mean, even when you talk about, I think when it, the first thing came to mind was like Terminator 1, right? When Arnold Schwarzenegger comes back and he's, he's behind a bus, he has no clothes on, everybody can see that he's totally ripped, right? But underneath all that is just some heartless kind of machine, so to speak, right? Who eventually grows some heart, maybe, but he's really just doing his job. But nevertheless, the person who made him was a black man. And so the, the person responsible for, for Skynet was a black guy stuck in, you know, kind of like in the hills somewhere, but, but had this idea in his mind that just didn't work out the way he wanted it to. And so it, it, even in that, right, the cultural representation becomes one in which the black guy is magical. He has, he has this kind of, one, he's still male, he still has a family, so it has this heteronormative kind of capacity to it as well. Um, at the same time, it's very capitalist. And so there, there are some very real negative capacities to it and still, uh, he's he's still a, he's still a, he's still a cursory marker within the entire story. He made it, and now we just watch it unfold. And we probably we see him maybe two or three times throughout this the whole saga, right? When they decide to like go back and revisit this idea of a black man made it, they don't really, you know they they don't harp on the idea that he was a black man, but they just go back and show him, or they just con you know continue on with the fighting and the devastation and so forth as a result. So I, I definitely think the critique is is something that could definitely be done well. Uh, but I also think that if we continue to, to kind of um, even kind of moving towards the post piece, right? Then what if, I, I think I'm, I'm particularly intrigued with like super intelligence or other very least artificial intelligence agents, right? Like I'm working on a project right now that is a distinctly black artificial intelligence. And so trying to find ways to reproduce or at the very least present blackness and in, in, in what may be, you know, the, the medium of like, a, like an Alexa or something similar to that, but do it in such a way that it's not like digital blackface, but it actually centers the experiences of black people and comes from a place of, of, of cultural relevance, right? And so there's, I think there's a, there are various ways to critique and enter into this dialogue that produce a representation that is viable, but also allows for, uh, for, for newness and potentiality. And I, and I say this mainly because like even, even this project, right, it's called the, it's called the secret project. The, it, this AI is black, but it has no gender. And so we're still kind of playing with the fluidity that one can move in and out of spaces, but still maintain a level of, of, of racial ethnic kind of um, uh, identity, so to speak, at the very least, if, if this makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you. And again, of course, it's uh, it's hard to have all the terminology because Philip is really at the forefront of this kind of discourse. So it's uh, it's uh, one of those vanguard uh, thinkers that are really cre creating tools for everyone else. So again, that's really exciting for us to have you here. And I want to um, switch to the second part of the discussion about posthumanism and also ask you what kind of connections and maybe disconnection that you see between black posthumanism and Afrofuturism. No, so you, you're trying to get me in trouble. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's, here's the, I think here's the thing though. So like, I think Afrofuturism, even posthumanism, both, both of them are, so they are futuristic constructions that, that produce at the very least a new, uh, a new way to imagine what comes next. But I think you're always going to find, and somewhere, somewhere in there, that somebody's always going to say, "But these terms came from white people." Like Mark Derry was a white guy, mm -hmm. right? Posthumanism, and in some ways, in terms of the, the coining of the term, these came from uh, folks who are, who are Western European descent or, and in their lineage. And so, you, you're going to have like these particular, um, um, these particular divergencies, and even more so, like Afrofuturism would attempt to create an arc, right, or an umbrella that would house posthumanism, where posthumanism would suggest that. It, it may be a part of Afrofuturism, but at the same time, there are places where Afrofuturism would attempt to um, maintain, right, or lift up the humanity of black folks, where black posthumanism would probably argue that this humanity is no longer necessary, and this humanity mm -hmm. still maintains a level of hierarchy that does not allow for a complete immersion within one's environment, or at least uh, allow for the kind of uh, uh, integration within the environment that that has kind of more generative and spiritual capacities, right? And so, you, you, I think there's, I think there's, there's room for a rich discussion between uh, both spaces. But I think, I think mostly you'll see that Afrofuturism would suggest that it is the house where Black posthumanism can can maintain itself along with any other particular uh, category that allows for futuristic reframing or imagining of where black bodies are. And I mean, I think in, in some ways, right, Afrofuturism is still just a way of, of maintaining, locating oneself in history, whether it be in the past, the present, or the future. Thank you so much, Philip. And there is one more uh, topic that we have not addressed yet, but again, with Philip, we could really go on <laughs> with the third one. But I'd really like to mention this because, again, Philip has been writing a lot on this topic and he does have a whole chapter on this. So I'd like to uh, reflect a little bit with your insights about the experience of black spirituality in relation to neurophysiology. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about your chapter in the book and uh, how that uh, contributes to the field of posthuman studies. Right. So I think I think the idea, right, when we talk about black spiritualities, uh, one, I think the first, first off, the the cartography or the mapping out, right, of black spiritualities is, is still is still new, mainly because of the way in which uh, black theological discourse uh, begins to talk about uh, black spiritualities in a way that is integrative within theological discourse, right? Black black folks historically really see their theologies and their spiritualities very as very very integrated, and so. You, you, it's it's something that becomes very much attached to one's identity, and so the the distinction is not always prevalent. And so, with the move to to make these distinctions of what are black spiritualities, how might we carve them out? I think this becomes something that allows for this kind of hyper relative, hyper subjective space that is kind of uh, acknowledged within uh, within a within a post human space, right? And so, it, again, it carves out a very distinct very relevant space for black folks to uh, begin to say what's theirs and what they've historically been a part of spiritually or uh, spiritual wise. But in terms of just kind of moving towards this um, kind of this neuro neurophysiological integration, I think it's helpful mainly uh, because it gives 
right? I think uh, so. One of the one of uh, one of the uh, critiques of black theology or, or even black, uh, or black theological discourse is the idea that it mainly deals with like black suffering or how or how black people deal with black suffering. Uh, but one of the things that I think in my attempt to outline black spiritualities in conjunction with neurophysiology is that it doesn't have to deal with kind of suffering as as in uh, this is uh, the way in which we do suffering happens and then this is how we manage suffering through black spiritualities. The neurophysiology suggests that we have an idea of what of how to trigger, right, and how to uh, be not so much in control, but at the very least have a way of how we, we know how to activate our bodies, our physiological systems in certain ways. And so it becomes um, kind of proactive in that way. And so if black people are aware of the ways in which their bodies function, the spiritualities that activate them in certain ways, then when they encounter, uh, you know, kind of racism, when they, not kind of, when they encounter racism, right, or uh, in, in these various capacities, or they see things that are triggering or traumatizing, uh, they have something not just to rely on, but their internal physiological status already preset, right? And so the you think of it in terms of um, like an action potential, a heartbeat, right? When you have the the, the depolarization on the spike, and then uh, when everything is trying to uh, to stabilize again, you could suggest that if you have a preset component within one's own physiology, then uh, the refractory period becomes much shorter. And refractory just when the restabilization period, right? And so if you see something triggering, it could throw you off um, in a very real way. But if your internal physiolo physiology is already preset, then you could suggest that potentially, right? We, we can't say this for sure, but potentially uh, you would add then you would then call upon those those spiritualities that would be able to uh, help you know bring one back within one's kind of homeostatic state uh, in a much in a much in a much quicker space. But at the same time, it gives it gives a, a different I think a different level of strategy or a different approach to strategizing towards. Uh, black interna internality and kind of overall kind of again this idea towards black liberation. Thank you so much, Philip. Again, there will be much more to talk about. But if you're in New York City, <laughs> you can meet Philip tomorrow at our New York Posthuman uh, Fall Summit. And again, if you're interested in his work, please uh, contact him online. He's a visiting assistant professor in the Theological Studies Department at Loyola Marymount University in Los, in Los Angeles, California. He also have, has a, um, an academia uh, profile. I don't know if you have also some other ways to connect with you that you would like to mention. Sure. Uh, on, on Instagram, uh, it's futurist, I think, with an underscore at the end. And futurist is spelled with P-H, so P-H-U-T-U-R-I-S-T, right, underscore. Um, I, we have a um, we, ha we have a secret project website, um, and, and so it's uh, dialogueflow.com backslash seeker, and you can talk to uh, one of the draft environments there. Um, and then I think that's kind of, kind of the main things we have right now that are, that are just up. And so you can check out the secret project. Um, or, or contact me via Instagram. Fantastic. And also, uh, the book that is coming out yes. in December 2019, yes. uh, the, the, the work of many years of thinking and studying and researching by Philip, the title is Black Transhuman Liberation Theology, Spirituality and Technology, published by Bloomsbury Academic 2019. So uh, really highly recommended. Thank you so much for your kindness, for your work, for your visionary ideas, and for really making a difference uh, to the field of post-human studies. No, I'm, it's just an honor to be here. Thank you for sharing space. Thank you so much, Philip. Hi, this is Julian Boylan, co-director of Posthumans. I hope you learned something from this conversation with Philip Butler. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. It doesn't have to say much, but it will help more people discover our show. Also, 
A video version of this episode and others is available on posthumans.org under vlog. Thanks.